Last week we looked at um, the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah and telling him about the birth of John the Baptist. And I've already gotten one complaint between services that Joseph gets short shrift. Next year we'll go to Matthew and get Joseph in, okay? Joseph's not worried about it. Things are fine. Um, uh, this week I want to look at, at Gabriel coming to Mary. Last week when we looked at, at the story of Zechariah, the, the theme was that God intervenes in the life of those who have been disappointed. Mary, I mean, Elizabeth had been declared barren. She had been unable to have a child. And as you read that story, you, you sense the heartache and the disappointment and yet their faithfulness as she and Zechariah continue to serve in spite of having God say no to a frequent prayer and how God intervenes even to the disappointed. Today, we're going to look at how God intervenes in such unexpected ways. Christmas is a time of expectations, right? I mean, uh, tomorrow's, I mean, Christmas Eve service at three will be wonkers because the kids are expecting what's coming on, right? I mean, it is a time when we, I don't even know what wonkers is, but it's, it's true. It's a time when, when we grow in anticipation of the holidays, being with family and all that comes with it, and those expectations can be particularly high. In, in our household, one of my favorite pictures of our two daughters is a Christmas morning. Um, our daughters are now middle-aged. They have their own children. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, uh, they're still my little girls. And, and when they'd gone off to Christian school, University of Texas, and, and came home one year, we had this tradition. When we moved into our house, our old house 30 years ago, it, it had a stairway up to their bedrooms. And, and at the top of the stairway, they, we would make them sit until mom was ready for them to come down for Christmas. I mean, that was just the drill. They had to sit on top of the stairway in anticipation of coming down and all the pictures and the tree and, and, you know, the lump of coal under the tree. So, now, it wasn't like when I was growing up. Those of you who are my age, remember, we came into the room where the tree was and were blinded by eight-millimeter movie lights. Do you remember those lights? So bright that they seared your retina. You could not see for the rest of the day, but you were glad to be happy because it was Christmas morning. At least now, the picture taken is not quite so offensive. Um, but, but when the girls came back from... I'm, I made them still sit up on top of the stairs, even though there were college co-eds. I mean, they were so annoyed with me. But they had, to, they had to sit on top of the stairs and wait to come down until Mama said yes. And we have a picture of them sitting there, you know, in all of their co-edness and um, waiting to see what Santa had brought. It, it was because there is just that expectation on Christmas morning, Right? I mean, even if you know you've been naughty and aren't going to get anything, still there's that expectation of all that Christmas morning brings. It's, it's, it's one of the great joys. But what happens when your expectations aren't met? What happens when, you know, the authorities, whether it's your parents or your God, doesn't do what you pictured. I'm going to argue that that's what happened with Mary. Um, uh, Mary, according to historians, someone asked me, how do you know that? Well, they've done a lot of research in, in writing from the first century, and there's all kinds of evidence that she was probably between the ages of 12 and 14. Um, uh, young women married very young, partially because life expectancy was so short. 
It, it was not unreasonable. They, they would be betrothed or engaged to be married, which is similar engagement, but much more um, serious. Because once you were betrothed, a bridal, uh, literally a contract had been written, a bridal price had been exchanged, and in order to break a betrothal, you had to actually go through a full divorce. It was much more serious than our engagements today. And so you have this young adolescent girl who thinks she's about to get married. Now, we were blessed with two daughters, and, and I have had the joy of marriage planning. Actually, I didn't plan anything, but I, I've been in, in the house when marriage weddings were planned, and, and it, it is something about which I have no comprehension. I've just watched it. You know, there, it, there is... There is an anticipation and excitement that comes with wedding planning that is like nothing else I've ever seen. Just write checks and be quiet is what I was told. And, and, um, and so Mary's in the throes of that. They are, their marriage, their weddings were citywide events. They were massive feasts. They were a huge deal. And one can only imagine that she had been working on the place cards for the tables and um, all of the things that comes with the anticipation of her wedding event. I mean, she had this picture of what it would be, and, and we assume she liked Joseph, hopefully, and that, that this was a happy match, and, and she is waiting for this event, and then an angel shows up, which in my world is fairly unexpected as well. Um, in fact, we often think of the Bible being full of angelic experiences. The fact is, when you read all of Scripture over the thousands of years that Scripture covers, it's amazing how little angels appear. It is spectacularly unusual when angels appear. And God has appeared to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. The one will be like Elijah. He has appeared to Joseph later on. But now he appears to this young girl, and I think it's one of the most challenging passages in all the Gospels. So, if you don't mind, turn to Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And I, I want you to see with me the story of expectations. First, there are troubling words in verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Well, that's not, that's not right. See, we know this is about the Messiah's birth. Micah 6.2 says the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And we know they knew that because when the Magi show up to Herod and he asked them what is the expectation, they said, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They expected the Messiah to be born in the city of David because he would be a senator of David the king. And here it's in Nazareth, which is a backwater town. We're talking redneck here. And I say that with great respect because I are one. It's, it's, it's the, I mean, can, as Nathaniel will say later, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it's like College Station without a university. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm so sorry. It was lying there. I couldn't help it. I, I just, Merry Christmas to all of you, Aggies. Whoop. Anyway, um, I, it's, I'll have to confess that sin later. So, there, 
the angel appears to Nazareth in a town of Galilee. And Galilee is, is not the east or west coast. It's, it's not where the networks are, right? It, it's, it's just, you know, it's just plain folk there. And he appears to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph who is the descendant of David. Okay, that's better because they knew the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Favored is used multiple times. In the, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, it, is, it is the same word as grace. It, you who are, have been graced by God. So there is this whole image of God blessing, giving grace to Mary and to all these events. It is, it is all the context of God's work in this young woman's life. In verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. I love that. Did you catch that? She's not troubled that an angel shows up. Isn't that great? Because, you know, she's Mary. But she's troubled at his words. And she wonders what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, because you have been graced with God, by God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua. The Old Testament word for Jesus is Yeshua. Yahweh will save. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 32 is a it's a contagion of statements that keeps building on the significance of who her son will be. First, he'll be great, even though she is an insignificant young woman in a backwater town. Uh, secondly, he will be called the son of the Most High. Most High is an Old Testament title for God. In the context of the ancient Near East, it, it, where there was there were so much idolatry and so many gods, they would refer to the Yahweh, the God of Israel, as the Most High God, the God over all other gods. Not acknowledging that the other gods were real, but just saying, whatever gods you got, ours is the big one, the the Son of the Most High God, a kingly title in many ways. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, now there's no question what he's saying. He will be the Messiah, the descendant of David. Because, see, in ancient Israel, they were living in expectation of the coming Messiah. It was the focal point for everything. In fact, when you read, and we have people at Grace who are scholars in, in first century history, um, when, when you read about it, they, they, they're, everything about their life was focused on this. And, and every once in a while, someone would rise up and bring crowds, and they would all huddle around and say, maybe is this the Messiah who will finally, finally bring deliverance from Rome? Because more than anything, what they expected the Messiah to do was give them freedom. God had promised that the nation of Israel would be a great nation, and yet here they're subjugated to the Romans who are anything but consistent with their faith. And so they had this mental image of, of, 
a Messiah who would come and, and he, would, he would be a king and he would establish the reign of Israel and Israel's, Israel's boundaries would expand and they would become great. And, and here he has said this to Mary, your, your son will be the descendant of David. And she instantly, as a first century Jew, understands that he's saying she will be the Messiah. He will be the Messiah, the promised one. And he goes on to say, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That throne from which God will reign through this king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. He will reign over Israel. House of Jacob is another way of saying it. Forever. Not just a simple earthly king that reigns until he dies, but he, he will establish a reign forever, and his kingdom will never end. And, and Gabriel has come to this uh, adolescent, young adolescent girl and, and dropped headlines on her that are worthy of the Jerusalem news because he has announced that what our whole nation, all of us people have been waiting for is going to come about, and it's going to come about through you. And, and for her, it would have brought a cascade of images about what this means because they anticipated a Messiah who would come. And they anticipated that he would be incredibly powerful, a military leader like David and yet a man of peace who would, who would establish them and, and, and give them affluence and peace and joy. Unless there be any question, that last phrase, his kingdom will never end, is a direct quotation from the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, God says to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. That's Solomon, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The, he picks up phrases from the promise that God had made to David when he said that you will not have a normal kingdom. It will be one that extends forever. It was an interesting question. How does a kingdom last forever? Because kings die, right? How does a kingdom last forever? Interesting question. So, we, we read it today with the, the benefit of history, and we say, what a privilege for Mary. But, but stop and think for a second. She's, she's engaged. She's betrothed to be married, and she will say later, I am a virgin. I've not been with them. I do not know a man. And when she turns up pregnant, what's going to happen in their culture? Um, uh, the Old Testament law said that um, ha had very detailed expectations about this kind of thing. And, and essentially, if, if she were pregnant by someone that she was eligible to be married to, then they would automatically be required to marry. And if it was a married man or something like that and they were caught, then they would be stoned and killed. In other words, God just told her not happy news in many ways. In her society, she just found out that she's going to be ostracized. She's going to be ridiculed. And we know from the New Testament that that theme carries on. Remember times in the New Testament when they say, aren't you the son of Joseph, Jesus? Are you? 
Whose son are you anyway? And this, this young world, a girl who is living with expectation of their big day, the, the great marriage feast and all that that means in their society because, because in their society at that time, a woman had no career. Her fulfillment was in her family. And she's looking to that moment and an angel comes and says, oh, by the way, God's going to mess all that up. And her expectations are dashed. Verse 34, we see her response. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The word is very clear. I have not known a man. Um, You ever thought about why Jesus had to be born of a virgin? Um, Isaiah 7.14 is the passage that we look to as a prophecy of of the virgin birth. Um, Some scholars reject it, but it is interesting how it's interpreted in Matthew chapter 1. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? Because he will be called the Son of the Most High. In order for him to be the Son of God, he had to be born through God. And in order for him to be uh, the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world, he had to be fully God and fully man. Fully God because it, he, he could not attain to the perfection required of the uh, blameless lamb, Passover lamb. He had, to, he had to literally be perfect to be an adequate sacrifice for the sins of the world. Only God attains that. So he had to be fully God. But he had to be fully man, born of a woman, because if, if he weren't our DNA, he couldn't be our substitute. And, and he could not understand, you know, the Scripture says he understood all of our um, temptations, tempted as we are. He understood the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. He knew what it was to be tempted. That's why the story of of the temptation by Satan of Jesus is so significant. The the gospel writers want us to know that it wasn't a walk in the park for Jesus to be sinless in the sense that he understood our temptations. He, He can identify with us. He had to be able to identify with us perfectly and yet represent us perfectly so that he had to be fully God and fully man. And as such... He is unique in all of history. He is the Son of God. And so Mary says, well, wait a minute. I, I'm a, I haven't known a man. How, how can I have a child? And the angel answers, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There is nothing sexual in this. This does not imply uh, the Greek mythological sex between gods and and women. This This is just as God spoke human life into existence by His words, He speaks this baby into life by His word. It is a supernatural conception that God, the Holy Spirit, comes upon her, and in her womb she has a zygote that turns into a fetus who becomes the son of God. It's a supernatural conception and birth. And, and, and can you imagine being a young adolescent girl and having this be dropped on you? 
I mean, it, it, it's amazing. Something's going to happen to you that's never happened in history, human history, and nor will it ever happen again. And, and by the way, you will be outcast and condemned because of it. But don't worry, God is the one doing it. And then he confirms it. He gives her evidence. Uh, even Elizabeth, your relative or cousin, is going to have a child in her old age. and So that's evidence that God is doing something supernatural because she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then another one of those phrases that is powerful because of its allusion to the Old Testament, for nothing is impossible with God. That's a quotation from Genesis 18, 14. In Genesis 18... God has come to Abraham, who is old, and God says to Abraham, You're gonna, you and Sarah are going to have a child. And he goes to Sarah and says, by the way, God told me we're going to have a child. And Sarah laughs. She said, look at us. Really? And Genesis 18 follows that by saying, but nothing is impossible by God. So that the angel is making an allusion to the supernatural birth of Isaac, who is the beginning of the nation of Israel, and alluding to the supernatural birth of the Messiah, who represents the fulfillment of the nation of Israel. Verse 38 is, I believe, one of the most powerful verses in all of the New Testament. Take it, if it doesn't, take your breath away, you're not quite getting it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. Um, most of us are okay, especially if we come to church. We're okay with saying, I'm the Lord's servant. The problem is we have expectations for what that means. Uh, we give him a list of what that should mean. Lord, I am your servant. Therefore, this is what you should do for me, Right? If I'm single, you should give me a, a perfect spouse. If I'm, if I'm married, you should give us perfect children. If, if, if I'm starting my career, you should give me perfect success. In other words, unintentionally, we can't help but interpret his love and his power into meaning that he'll bless us the way we, we, we create these pictures in our, in our minds these expectations of our, in our minds of what following him implies. And, and most of those are that he'll do a lot of great things for us. And I believe Mary had all those in her mind as well. We know she was faithful in her love of God. Scripture is very clear in that. And, and, and what you have here is, is a young woman who, who just had all her dreams rearranged. And, and she says, I'm your servant. Do whatever you will. No caveats. No buts. Just submission. See, that, that, that is the intention of true faith because I, I trust you enough that I believe you're capable of doing what's best and you love me enough to do what's best even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't fit my pictures, even when, you know, 
Lord, I got these expectations from you. I've read scripture. I've, I've held your promises in my heart and my mind. I've trusted that you would do what you said. And, and, and I've built my life, my faith, in the expectation that you'll live it out the way makes sense. And then sometimes he changes it. He doesn't necessarily send Gabriel to us. But we run into the wall of broken expectations we, when, when he says, I'm going to bless you but not the way you thought. And in fact, it may be unpleasant for a time, which marries our example. I am your servant. Do what you will. Because see, as long as we're telling him how to do it, a number of years ago, a young woman came to my office. I don't think they go to the church anymore. If they do, I don't remember who it was, so we're safe. Um, and she was really upset with her husband, which I understand. I'm a guy. I get it. Um, and I said, what are, what are you disappointed with? He said, well, he's not our spiritual leader. I said, well, what does that mean? What are you? She said, I've told him exactly what he needs to do. And I'm, I'm kid you not. I'm sitting there struggling to keep a straight face. And I said, well, you, you, did, you buy, did you catch the irony in this here? Um, no. I wasn't much help. Um, see, that's the way we treat God. I want him to lead, and I've told him exactly how to do it. But when God, God is God, that's part of his job description, which means that there's always submission. And Mary is this staggering example of humble submission, even when God's plan is wrecking her plans. And even when God's plan could be really tough, she's going to be ostracized, she's going to be ridiculed, and, and she's going to stand at the foot of the cross and watch him die and have him say, John, take care of my mom. And yet, every picture of Mary in the New Testament is unbelievable faithfulness and submission to God's will. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Verses 39 following, we see the spiritual confirmation. At the time, Mary got ready and headed to town in the hill country of Judea. That's four, four days' walk. And, and where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, whom we've been introduced to in the previous story. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Wow. And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Uh, previous, it says that John will be a prophet, and here he prophesies from the womb, and his mother becomes a prophetess who interprets his actions to be the words of the Lord. Blessed is she, notice what it says, who has believed what the Lord has said he will, to her will be accomplished. It all comes back to simple faith. 
But faith is hard when God doesn't follow instructions very well. And all of us experience, some are in the middle of it right now at Grace. So some this Christmas are, will be one they remember for difficult reasons because it's, it's a time of broken expectations, right? Others of us will swim through this Christmas and have a great time, but, but life gets in the way of that. And, and one of the things that happens for everyone who trusts Christ is they, they will one day come to that point when, when God doesn't take instructions from us. When, when God does His will as God, and we are faced with the decision, will I trust Him? Will I trust Him even when He doesn't live up to what I think He should do? And sometimes, sometimes we do it and, and we quickly experience how His way was better. You know, great theologian Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Um, um, sometimes, pretty quickly, we see, no, it's good that that girl broke up with me, or it's, it's good that that business deal didn't come through, or it's, it's good. That, I mean, sometimes we, we get our dreams shattered, but very quickly see that God had a hand in it, it had a better will. But sometimes we go to our graves never seeing what we hope for. Sometimes we go to our graves never having seen why God allowed things to happen. And Job's incredible faith, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mary's faith, uh, I am your servant, do what you will, is the test of what we're called to do, and that is, will we trust him when our expectations aren't met? Because it's nothing, it's no big deal to trust him when he does exactly what you tell him to do, right? Now, I'll tell you that, like everyone else, I've gone through those times and, and I have had those moments when I, in my prayer, said, Lord, where are you? When I've had those prayers that were scathing rebukes of God, if you will, because I, I don't see his hand being uh, acting consistently with what he's promised. I've had those prayers at two and three and four in the morning. But the question isn't where you start, it's where you end. And, and I'm always come back to what Peter said when Jesus said to the disciples, will you leave me too? And Peter says, to whom else will we go? What's, what's your better answer? It makes sense to trust the God of the universe who created all things by the, His Word. He's that powerful. It makes sense to trust the Father of Jesus who loved us so much He gave us His Son. It, if He is that powerful and that loving, then trusting Him when the evidence is hard is not a bad decision, right? But it's faith like Mary, that walks us through that together. It's a submissive faith. It's a, it's a faith that says, my expectations and my picture aren't the final word. You have the final word. But isn't that a better place to be? Isn't, isn't it possible that God might know better 
how to work things out for us than we know. Isn't it it realistic to believe that somehow when everything shakes down, his perfect will will be best? And isn't there plenty of evidence that when we're in control, we mess it up anyway? Christmas is a time of expectations. We have, we have these pictures of what the dinner table will be like and of what will be under the tree and, and the time with family and all of those other things that are incredible. And the Christmas Eve services when the music is beautiful and the kids are excited and all of those things, that's, those expectations are good. But, but don't let the expectations get in the way of what God is doing in your life. Because what God is doing is infinitely better. Because He's God. And He demonstrated it more than anything else by the birth of this one. Because this young woman is about to have a supernatural child who will perfectly represent the character of God, perfectly demonstrate the love of God, and And they'll celebrate the power of God when he's resurrected on the third day to show that even death can't win. Please pray with me. Father, forgive us that sometimes our expectations get so set in concrete that we can't accept what you're doing. And Father, thank you that in all of human history, ultimately your will is best. Thank you that Christmas is a demonstration that your way is ultimately better. Help us be like young Mary. Be your servants and desire what you want. Thank you, Father, for the incredible blessings that each of us has experienced, especially in your Son. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.